0: There is a game. Every workplace, there is a game. The game is rigged in favor of certain people. There are rules to the game. And you have to understand that part of the game involves politics. Part of the game involves personalities. uh, But there are also principles to the game. This is a very relaxed show.
1: Um, I was telling people Welcome, welcoming them to the No More Reasonable Doubt show. This is really about exposure. This is about giving young professionals access to different people who are working in different fields. My goal is for them to listen to interviews like this and go, oh, snap, I didn't even know that was possible for me. I didn't even know there were people who look like me doing these type of things. So that's the goal, people. Um, a little bit of, a little bit of, hey, what's up, Hoseline? A little bit of housekeeping. Uh, you know, you can put your questions on the side here. If you use the question mark and forward slash Q, excuse me, just forward slash, forward slash Q, that will give you a little box that says question in it. And we'll come back to it later. Really, we're going to have an interview here. I'll look over there, but most of the time I'm going to be talking to Anwan, uh, just a little bit of housekeeping. Later on, we'll have a recording of the show. But uh I'm going to start off by welcoming our guest to the No More Reasonable Doubt show, and that's Anwan Simmons. And please, hopefully, I get this right. Janua uh, LLC. You got it. So he is the managing director, and really, this is going to be about tech today. We're going to hear about his background, how he got where where he is, and hopefully, you know, we'll make time to take some of your questions. Once again, forward slash, well, Q You put that on the side and we'll know, we'll be able to find your questions very easily. So if someone wants to test that right now, go for it, forward slash and the letter Q. I keep going like this, (laughs) the letter Q, (laughs) and you'll see what it looks like and what I mean because that'll make it easy for you to know. Actually, I'll do it, forward slash Q. I'll use Q, Not, not, not the question mark sign, but the letter Q. So you see how mine came up. It says, question what is. So we'll jump in. And Juan, once again, thank you so much for taking the time, for being with us. And one of the things that we'd like to start off with is just asking, where are you originally from?
0: I am from a small town called Wichita Falls, Texas, which is right on the border of Oklahoma and Texas. So uh, I am from what, what is known as Red River Country.
1: Excellent. So now your title says managing director there's someone sitting out there going, what does that mean? What does he do for a living? What is his day-to-day like?
0: Absolutely. So managing director means that I have an, an LLC that I formed a couple of years ago, and it's meant to be an umbrella organization for all the work that I do. Now, my LLC is what I use for forums like this. I do have a you know, regular daily kind of nine to five that I use, but I'm not an official representative of my company. And so I have my LOC, that's where I do all of my speaking engagements, all of my, you know, uh, I wrote a book a a couple of years ago. So all of what I do as far as Anwan Simmons, uh, the person who's passionate about tech, passionate about diversity in tech, that's all Janua. Everything else is stuff that's more privately held.
1: So let me ask you this, and you let me know if we can go there. Sure. So, so with with the uh, with the nine to five, um, with the nine to five, tell us a little bit what, what you do there. We got a sense of what you do with your LLC, right. With the tech passion, uh, and I want to mix them up because there's someone sitting there who's probably have an interest in the things that you that you're doing both in the nine to five and and as we like to call it in your side hustle. Um, so please tell us more.
0: My official job title is Agile Project Manager, also called Scrum Master. For those of you who are in development, software development uh, specifically, you've heard about Scrum. Scrum is a way of developing software in an iterative way. We iterate over what are called sprints, which are just defined time boxes where you say, okay, for the next two weeks, we're going to try to build whatever. And Scrum is really Great, because it is a way to quickly get working software into the hands of customers. And, you know, Agile, which is, Scrum is a subset of Agile. Scrum is known as a practice. Agile's more of a mindset. Scrum really came into play, really back in the 90s, where our when software developers realized that waterfall development, which is, in a nutshell, we're going to plan everything we're going to build you know, spending more like two to three months planning. We're going to spend a year building what we plan. And we hope that what we have after a year or two is what we plan in the beginning. And that's never the case because customers change, competitors change, technology changes and so Scrum was a way to compress all those planning, designing, development, test deploy activities into a much smaller time frame to get that feedback loop. Say, okay, we built this customer. What do you think? Okay, you like X, Y, and Z, but you don't like W. All right, let's go back, add W to the next sprint and keep going that way. So my, my the last almost decade of my career – has been in Agile development, particularly as a Scrum Master. And so my job is to help my team practice Scrum and to remove any impediments that will keep my team from being productive.
1: Awesome. Awesome. That um you know, I'm sure that opened up some stuff for people. Like I want to be a personally, I just want the title scrum master. That's, that's, that's just me. <laughs> I just, like, I just want the title. It's <laughs> so like I got to earn
0: it, man. You I know, it's made by it. developers when they have a, I mean, that that's an official role. The, the official role is titled scrum master. So, you know, Hey, coders, what, what can you do?
1: That's awesome, man. Now, where did you go to school and what did you study?
0: I went to the University of Texas at Austin, Hook'em Horns. I knew that was coming. <laughs> <laughs> I that was coming. Uh, and I, I think I see another, uh, I think that T- Tanisha is, is in the building. So, hey, what's up, girl? Uh, she's a fellow Longhorn. I studied, I decided to take the easy route. I studied electrical engineering. <laughs> and so, and I actually graduated in four years. A lot of people who do E take a lot longer, uh, but I was very dedicated. And so I spent a lot of time in the engineering building, spent a lot of time in the library studying, uh, but thankfully I was able to get my degree uh, and move forward. Okay.
1: Uh, now,
0: you also have an advanced degree, correct? I have an MBA from, and I, I'm, I'm going to get, I'm going to, I always get a little bit from this, but the rival school to UT is Texas A&M, and I have an ah. MBA from A&M. So undergrad, Longhorn, grad, Aggie. All right, uh, get, them,
1: get them in the comments. In- <laughs> I
0: know, but hey, and most people who have dual degrees tell you, you always rock for your undergrad. So I bleed burnt orange. So I'm, I'm Longhorn's all the way. Uh, I don't know how football programs are going to go this season. It's not looking too good, but, I'm, but I believe in strong. I'm strong, proud, and I think that we're going to pull it out.
1: Awesome. Now, the um, what you're doing now, or let me step back for a second. Are you doing what you thought you'd be doing after you graduated from college, undergrad, let's say?
0: You know, it's interesting because I can honestly say that, yes, I am. I and and to give a little bit. So we talked about my my undergrad degree. We talked about, um, you know, what I do now, but there's a lot in the middle. So after I graduated from UT, I went to work for a consulting company called then Anderson Consulting. And those of you who know about Anderson know that it was caught up a little bit in the Enron scandal because Arthur Anderson, which was the accounting arm of Anderson Worldwide, basically ceased to exist because they were at least um, implicated and what was going on with with Enron? So Anderson Consulting was the consulting arm. So Arthur Anderson and Anderson Consulting were under Anderson Worldwide. And one thing that actually saved um, Anderson Consulting is that years before Enron, Arthur Anderson and Anderson Consulting. There's a little bit. There's a little bit of, of inside baseball, but I think it's really, uh, you know, it's really good to know. Um, Arthur Anderson and Anderson Consulting used to fight like brothers. Mm -hmm. And um, right before Enron, Anderson Consulting, which is really profitable, decided to break away from Arthur Anderson. And they went through arbitration. And one of the things that Anderson Consulting lost was the Arthur Anderson name. So Anderson Consulting was forced to become Accenture. And so I worked for Accenture from, what was this? This was probably... I, this happened probably around 2000, 2001, I'm, I'm guessing. Um, and so Accenture was what Anderson Consulting became. That loss at, that came out of that legal battle probably helped Accenture survive because Accenture was no longer tied to the Anderson name. So that just shows you that sometimes when you think you're losing something, you can actually be winning. Right. Because I think that Anderson Consulting becoming Accenture – left enough distance from Arthur Anderson that we were we were able to survive and so I worked at Anderson Consulting then Accenture for for 12 years and then after 12 years I left to get my MBA.
1: Okay. So now let's let's so let's start from there. That right. MBA point to where you are now. Hit, hit some of the highlights of how did you get, you know, where you are now? What are some of the, the things that happened
0: in between? Right. I even when I was in undergrad because you know i'm you know electrical engineering, and I thought, well, you know I could live in basements doing circuit analysis and building chips, and you know that that's cool, but even though I was always a very and most people are shocked when they hear this. I'm a very introverted person. I'm extremely, extremely introverted. I mean, I'm a classical, um, you know, INTJ for, you know, Myers-Briggs folks. Uh, and the I stands for, for um, introverted. But I, I, I knew that I, I wanted to help people. And, you know, from when I, from being in high school, helping kids, you know, other kids with their computers and helping to understand how to use their computers when we were doing Pascal programming in high school, I always had a heart to help people. And so I wanted a way to position myself at the intersection of technology and business because I knew that technology is what I was trained to do but this was where the people were. And I wanted to be able to work with with both technology and with people. And so consulting was a great way to, to operate at that intersection. So I went into Anderson Consulting slash Accenture and began to realize that. And so I was able to realize my my dream as a college student of finding a way to be deep in the tech, to be very technical, but to also have a way to help people. And so after getting my MBA, once I left Accenture, I went back into consulting a little bit because you know I graduated with my MBA. This is this is 2009, right? So remember, 2009, we were still in the recession, mm-hmm. and so the 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 U.S. economy had gone off a cliff, and it was easier for me to find a job when I was an MBA student with another consulting company. I joined Deloitte, and so for a couple of years I was in consulting. But then, because you know I I travel quite a bit mm-hmm. and I, you know, I have a wife, I now have three kids. So then during, during this time, my kids were very young. And so being a consultant, which for those of you who don't know, that usually means I'm flying anywhere, anywhere in the world, let's say Sunday night, I'm working wherever I am until Friday night. And I come back to live my life on the weekend which is great when you're young, when you're single and you have no kids. I highly recommend consulting. They pay you very, very well. And it's a cool life, you know, new flights and rental cars and hotels and all that <laughs> stuff. Uh, but I began to tire of that. And so I was able to pivot about four or five years ago from working for huge companies with like Accenture and Deloitte, where I consulted with clients from ranging from J.P. Morgan Chase to Dell to several industries to a smaller company that was focused on construction software. And so that brings me to where I am today and that I still work in the construction software industry and I work for a company that designs software for construction professionals.
1: This nice question for you, Anwar. So, So what advice would you give someone who's starting out their career and they're sitting here and they think, man, I want to be a scrum master. I'm going to stay on that one. I want to be a scrum master. I want to move forward in the tech field. What advice would you give them?
0: I would say that in technology and I I was listening to a friend's podcast where this was being discussed because we have all these ways of describing what a great technologist is. Right. We call them 10x. Right. 10x developers. Who can do, who can create code 10 times faster than anybody. Uh, we have, you know, the idea of leads, you know, L E E T, uh, programmers who are high speed. But one of the, one of the descriptions that I find most helpful for young people, people who are entering their career is what's called T shaped, right? T shaped. And that is the idea is that you want to be broadly familiar with almost everything, at least in the software development life cycle, right? Understand how planning works, understand how design works, understand how you write clean code, understand how you test code, understand how you deploy code, understand all of the different, um, you know, paradigms or, or patterns like, you know, model view controller. But you also want to have a very deep expertise, in something. Maybe that's in database administration. Maybe that's in networking. Maybe that's in uh, you know writing test cases and getting full test coverage. You want to be able to have some kind of calling card because most companies aren't going to hire you for what you like to do. They're going to hire you for what you can do for them. And so you have to understand you know, and identify the companies that you want to work for. Hopefully, if you're in college or earlier, you're already doing this. You say, you know, I want to work for Facebook or Microsoft or um, whoever, and it's really helpful to go to their job sites and see what companies like that are are looking for in terms of skill sets, and say, okay, they're looking for someone who is a, um, let's say, performance test, you know, master. And so you understand, again, have those broad skills, but you want to know about performance testing. What tools are available to do load testing? How do you simulate load? How do you make sure that when you're testing an, an application that you're simulating both all the happy paths when, you know, a thousand users... Uh, hit your site all at once and they'll begin doing what you expect them to do, but also all the unhappy paths. What happens when, you know, 10,000 users uh, hit your website and they're constantly hitting refresh? Understand all those things because then you have a calling card. When a company's looking for talent, say, oh, you're a performance tester. I, I, I understand exactly what you can do for my company. Make sure that that's very um, apparent in your resume and what you do if you have any kind of GitHub repros that you have, you know, a, a, a common tool for managing test cases called TestRail that you show TestRail scripts, probably scrubbed of any kind of, you know, private data that your company may not want you to have or, or, or wherever you, you you know, you got them. But you want to be able to show that, look, I'm all about test performance or whatever you want your calling card to be. That way you're broad enough to be able to understand what's happening at any point in the life cycle, but you're deep enough so that people know what peg to put you in. And it's not putting a square peg into a round hole. It's putting a round peg into a round hole. You want to make it really easy to get plugged into a company. So that helped me very early on in my career. And then I got hooked up with the with a product called Siebel, uh, which has gone down a little bit uh, compared to Salesforce, but it's CRM software. And it's software designed to help you manage your customers and understand who are your customers, who are your best customers. And Siebel was really popular from really the beginning of my career until after I left Accenture. And so I got into Siebel really early. I got into the technical side of doing implementations of Siebel, And that was my calling card. And that kept me uh, in consulting. There's the idea of being chargeable, meaning that, you know, they you're on a project making money for the company. And so my chargeability was always maximized because I always was able to have a calling card that they knew where to put me. But after I left Accenture and now working in construction, I'm not doing Siebel anymore. I did it for you know, 12 years, but because I had that, that that T part, that that horizontal understanding of how technology works and how you build software, I could land elsewhere. And so I think being T-shaped is my key advice for people who are starting their career.
1: Thank you for that. What um, What do you wish you were told when you were starting your career in that zero to three year time period?
0: It's, it's cliche, but I would say that uh, networking, you know, Again, I'm shy. I'm introverted. Um I my 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 gifts brought me into good places, but I wish I would have got, got into networking earlier. And you know, networking can kind of seem slimy to some people where, oh, let me meet this person and figure out how how I can use them to get ahead. That's not networking. I don't call that networking. All networking is is getting to know people understanding what they do and seeing how you can help them. Oh, okay. You know, you're doing this. Have you guys tried Scrum? I've been doing Scrum for a few years. Let me kind of sit with you, maybe grab some coffee, look at your your company and how you're structured, give you some tips about how to use Scrum. I'm not doing it to be hired by you. I'm doing it because I like understanding problems and how I can help people solve those problems. And So, to me, networking is just doing that. It's always understanding what, you know, who are the people out there? How can I best meet the needs of those people and stay in contact, right? Just following up. Hey, you know, we we met last month. I gave you some tips. How are those tips working out for you? Oh, okay. Well, maybe try this. And then over time, you'll, you know, those people will say, hey, I, I saw on Twitter that you spoke at a conference um, last last summer, you know, and you really helped me out with Scrum. Can you come speak at my company conference because, you know, we'll pay for your airfare and for your hotel and all that, maybe give you a little honorarium. That's happened to me before because I've been able to maintain a network, but I waited really late in my career. I I had to overcome being an introvert and overcome the, you know, imposter syndrome of thinking, well, everybody knows what I know, so it can't be that important. No, you are, you will always be surprised how much what you know is new information to, like, many, many people. And so by being able to network and to grow my network and to expand and help people, that opened more doors for me. So my advice for young people is network. You know, as, as technologists, we were often, you know, shy. We're often, you know, leave me alone in the corner so I can write my code and, 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 you know, do my thing, but you got to get out. You got to get out, go to the company party, uh, grab lunch with people, begin to let people know that you're more than someone who just generates code. You're more than someone who is just into technology. You know, maybe you love sports. Maybe you love, um, whatever you're, you're into, you know, get out there, put yourself out there because you'll find that over time your, your resume and your cover letter and all that Well, you know, that may help you with like entry level jobs, but as you go up the ranks, it's all about people. I mean, it's all about who, you know, and who, you know, know, Right. And so my, my last couple of jobs, I got just through networking. I I met people totally independent from any job opportunity. I I met them, you know, one guy was, you know, uh, we were both dads and we had, we both had kids playing T-ball. And we met each other, and then, bam, that led to a job I had you know, right before this one. And this job I have now, someone at another job who I stayed in contact with, um, we met for lunch, and they told me about this opportunity. And so you have to master networking. If you're shy, if you're introverted, get over it. You can. I did. I'm proof that if anyone can get over being introverted and be able to become more of a people person, then you can do it, too. Thank you. That's awesome advice
1: on the things that, you know, hey, this is what what, what you wish you were taught. And I happen to teach networking uh, and mostly, right. mostly conference networking. Um, so I, I bridge that gap between something I call hashtags to handshakes. So I teach people how to leverage online. So then you meet people in person. It's like the TV show. Uh, cheers. You know, uh, like your norm. Hey, absolutely. The anticipation that's built. And you know that you're both going to the same event. So I, I, do, I, I do some of that. And for all my introvert folks who are listening, when someone tells me they're introvert, the first thing I ask them is, what does that mean to you? Mm, because mm-hmm. my understanding of it really is it's where you get your energy. Absolutely. It doesn't, that, it doesn't mean that you can't be on stage. It doesn't mean that you're not the life of the party. But at, at, at some point, you're going to want to go away. You gotta have your, your own space and your and your own time, and I think that's very important because that's the first thing I want to know. What does it mean to you? Uh, and hopefully, they're not taking on someone else's definition of it. I let them know, no, you can be that person, but you need your space. I, I call myself a an extrovert with introvert introvert tendencies. Right. I, I love people. I get energy from people, but there's a time when I need to be with my notebook. You
0: know, I, exactly.
1: I, I need a, a good hike. I just need a time out. So I want people to know that. Um, so, so know that what, what does introvert mean to you? And then secondly is what is your strength? If your strength is, uh, cause this sometimes introverts tell me this too, is that, well, you know, I'm good with one-on-one, but when it becomes group, mm, not so much, it's just too much to take in. And I tell them, listen, go to that group. Now in that group, what you're doing is just looking at who is the one person you want to connect with more. That's all you're doing. Absolutely. You pull them to the side and then you have additional conversations. Yep. Uh, getting close to to, to uh, at least my last question. I don't know if there's other others coming from the people, but so you have a number of years of experience, and I make up that there comes a point where there's unspoken wisdom. Like no one could have told me this. It's just I was able to see this dot over here and this thing over here, and I sat down and I was like, yo. Look look at this. So I'm curious if there are if there's any unspoken wisdom that you've gained in your time. And uh I, I, I might have to add this to my um to my SEO, the time becoming a scrum master, all right? <laughs> but uh is there any unspoken wisdom that 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 you've discovered in your field?
0: I would say that there are two pieces of wisdom that I think is unspoken. And I would say that the first one is there is a game. Every workplace, there is a game. The game is rigged (laughs) in favor of certain people. There are rules to the game. And you have to understand that part of the game involves politics, part of the game involves personalities, uh, but there are also principles to the game. And so let me give you a few examples. You have to understand that at, at almost any workplace, there are people who are going to try to get ahead, not based on the the quality of their work, but on their ability to just hustle, to hustle people, to hustle opportunities. And you may say, I'm over here doing great work. But if no one knows you're doing great work, then you're not really doing great work. You have to be able to understand that a lot of Getting ahead at most workplaces. This is especially true for huge companies. Again, I've worked for huge companies like Accenture and Deloitte. You have to understand that people work in the the realm of politics and you have to understand those, those politics mean that even though the code is right that you're developing Even though you're doing all the great practices that everyone should do when doing when doing software development, if you don't understand the political environment, you're gonna find yourself losing. And so all that means is that you have to understand that there is a game, there are rules, there are players, and you have to be able to, to 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 navigate your way through those rules to be a player and understand that other people also playing, right? It's just like chess. While you're advancing your way across the chessboard of your company, there are the people who are doing the same thing. And there are people who will try to, to block you <laughs> or knock you off. And at times, it's not even intentionally. It may just be misunderstanding or they're so focused on what they're trying to, uh, trying to do that they don't intend to hurt you but they wind up doing that you have to be able to navigate through all that so and again my first piece of advice is, and it's a little bit high level but it is a game you have to understand what are the rules of the game wherever you're working, how can I be a player and how can I detect what other players are doing? So that's my first piece of unspoken wisdom because people won't admit that there is a game. They think everything's a meritocracy and everything's above board and we have all these pr- rules and procedures and processes that make sure that everybody's treated equally. No, not true. <laughs> there's a game. You have to understand what the game is. Again, what are the rules? What are the, again, unspoken rules and who are the players and to be a player. The second word of advice or the second part of unspoken wisdom is you have to know your worth and ask for what you want. You have to know your worth and ask for what you want. You have to understand that I bring certain things to the table, right? And this is all about combating imposter syndrome. I, you know, I got hired because I was qualified and I've stayed hired because the company appreciates what I bring to to the table. And so I have to understand that when I go into a situation where I want something, I know my worth. And that means that when I negotiate, I'm negotiating from a position of strength. I'm negotiating from a from a position of having leverage. And so you have to be able to ask for what you want. That is everything and and it's not just The regular things like, you know, more pay or more benefits or more uh, vacation time. But it's, hey, I want this lead role or I want to really invest in our infrastructure because, you know, we're using some outdated software and there's some more, uh, you know, high tech ways to have more highly available servers and to help reduce uh, the risk of failure and just ask for it and 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 when and and when you're doing that know that you're doing it from a position of strength you bring things from the you bring things to the company that they value and you should leverage your value to get what you want but if you don't ask then you're never going to receive and so whether it where whether it is the classical things like go, like coming to your boss and asking for a raise you have to know that look I've worked here for 3 years I've only had a total you know 1% raise I know that the market for what I do over those three years, people have gotten five percent raises each year? I'm underpaid, and I think I should get a raise. and And I think that um, that by getting a raise, not only will I become more at parity with the market, but then I think that that will help me to be incentivized to do all these other benefits, right? So it's not just paying me for what I've done, in, 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 pay me for what I've done in the past, mm-hmm. but it's paying me for what I'm going to be able to do, what I plan to do, in, you know, in the future. And in the back of your mind, you know that you know if I leave this company then they're gonna have to find someone to replace me. That's gonna take weeks. They're gonna to have to go through the hiring process, the vetting process. Then when they get someone who's gonna take my place, then it's gonna take weeks, if not months, to get that person to where I've been because I've been here three years in the game. So you have to know what you want. You have to ask for what you want. You have to know your worth and, and be willing to ask for it. Because I mean, I know early in my career, I struggled with this. And I may have known that I could make, be making more money, but I was making pretty good money, so I you know often did not. But now I know, look, if I think I'm worth it, ask. I know what you bring to the table. know what leverage you have, whether it's in what you do, and maybe you're in a very niche area, maybe you have a very deep understanding of a certain part of the architecture or of the code base, um, you know, mo- know what you bring to the table and use that to to power those, the, the, those those discussions. You have much more leverage when negotiating with your company than you probably realize. Just use it.
1: Two things that you, you sparked for me, want. First is... Um, mm-hmm. I'll ask, I'll put both out there. One is describe what imposter syndrome is, because right. some people may not know, uh, sure. they may not know the term, <laughs> but they probably right. know what it is. The second piece is there. Talk to us about, you know, the things that, that, that you're asking folks to do, where you're saying, hey, at first, it, uh, it was difficult. Talk us through, man, how did, you, how did you move from that point A to point B to be able to? Um, kind of the, the, the mental stuff.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Imposter syndrome, in a nutshell, is the idea or the thought that that I'm a fraud, that even in my area of specialty, that because I don't know everything, and it's really a symptom of the fact that the more you know, the more, the more you realize how much you don't know, and you begin to think, wow, there's so much I don't know. And one day someone's going to know what I don't know and then they're going to fire me or they're going to think that, you know, I don't deserve what I, you know, what I'm getting right now. And so you begin to question your worth. You think I'm, I'm an imposter. I'm a fraud and I, you're always in danger that someone's going to find out all the things that, that you don't know. And so imposter syndrome typically holds people back because instead of, being willing to, you know, to hold up your hand and, in, in, you know, in, in in the team meeting, uh, where someone says something and you like, I don't know what you just said. I'm going to raise my hand and ask. Right? People are afraid to do that because they they're afraid that. Well, if I ask what that person said, then everyone's going to know that I don't know what that meant. But 99% of the time, just trust anyone on this. If you don't know what someone just said. In a meeting, and you raise your hand and you ask. There are probably three or four people who didn't know either. <laughs> they just were afraid to admit it, right? And, and 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 those people may not admit it, but they're simply like, "Oh, I'm so glad N1 raises hand because I had no idea what that cat was saying either." But you had you had you got over the imposter syndrome fear and you did what actually is courage, and that you were willing to admit, "I don't know what's going on here. Can you please explain it?" And so. The cure for imposter syndrome, one, is to, one, again, know your worth, and knowing your worth does not mean being arrogant or or cocky or thinking more highly of yourself than you should. It's just saying, you know what? I have a core skill set that I think is strong. I've solved so many problems at this company and at previous companies. I know I bring a lot to the table. I don't bring everything. I don't bring perfection, but I bring a whole lot of competence. And so you have to be able to have that. And and to answer the second part of your question, by how you get over things, you have to really be able to interrogate the reality of your skill set and say, I've been solving problems for my entire career. I've solved some really hard problems that other people tried to solve but failed. And I've been able to bring a lot of benefit to my company. And you have to just kind of go, you have to kind of rerun the tape, you know, play the tape of your career and all those high points and be able to say, yeah, I have all these victories. I have all these wins. Yeah, I got a couple of L's, but I got a lot of W's too. And so my, my win-loss ratio is really great. And so that's how you get over that. And, you know, what happened to me is that, you know, early into my career at Accenture, you know, we get these performance evaluations at least when i was there every september uh at the end of august and so september one which is the beginning of the fiscal year for extensions when if you got a pay raise uh you would get all these letters and so one time a colleague showed me her pay raise and i was like what (laughs) (laughs) i'm doing all these things and you know she was talented but i'm like i got all kinds of stuff that i'm bringing to the table that I'm clearly not being compensated for. And so I began to say, okay, okay, you know, gloves coming off. I'm going to go for mine. I'm going to make sure that I prove to my manager what I'm bringing to the table so that next fiscal year I get that kind of bonus, right? And so I had to have that wake up call to say, or to realize that, man, I'm not getting what I'm worth because I'm not asking for it. Mm. And I had to shake myself out of. That That mindset that that asking for something is arrogant because asking for what you want is actually strength. It's saying I know what I want and i'm and I, and I am going to be courageous enough and I have I have the courage to go to the people who have what I want and ask for it and back up why I think I deserve what I'm asking for, and so that's how I did it. That's how I think people should do it. Thank you for
1: that. Let's talk about books for a second, sure. Um, what book, and you can throw yours in there too, we got to plug that, what book uh, would you suggest for someone who's just starting off, and maybe it's in the tech field, And maybe tech specific, it may be um, a bigger personal development uh, type book, if you will, uh, what book would you recommend?
0: Absolutely. And, you know, Humility prevents me from talking about my book first, but also I'll talk about it a second. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're worth, man. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. It's a good book, but um, there is a book called uh, Corporate Tribalism uh, by a guy. I forget the guy's first name, but it's by Cockman. There's a co-writer, but Corporate Tribalism is a great book about understanding how different people work in a corporate workplace. And it, it, it especially goes into how uh, white people, just to say it bluntly, how when white people enter the corporate space, they bring to that corporate space perceptions and ideas that are completely different than people of color, and it gives it, it just gives you example after example with data to back it up about how when a black person is in the corporate environment, then that black person not not playing to stereotypes, but just typically will have a certain way of looking at that, that corporate environment that is totally different than a white person. So let me give you one quick one quick example. White people in general, when they're in a corporate environment or even in the world, they think of themselves as individuals, meaning that they don't feel any responsibility for what other white people do. So we know that there have been a number of serial killers and mass shooters who are overwhelmingly white males. Right. So you got the guy who shot up, um, you know, that uh, that uh, elementary school in, in uh, Newtown, uh, Sandy Hook. And, you know, you, I mean, just Google serial white serial killers or mass shooters. You see a lot of white faces. White people think that that ain't got nothing to do with me. I didn't shoot anybody. I have that has nothing to do with me at all. Black people tend to have a more corporate view or a more tribal view so that when black people do things either at work or in the media, they feel fear that, oh, no, they're going to make me look bad. So I'm not sure if you uh, recall, but a few years ago, there was that that D.C. shooter who was shooting people. You know, he was posted up and just he had, I guess, a sniper rifle. He was shooting people who were driving along the highway when it came out that it was a brother. Who was doing that? Black people were like, oh no, oh no, 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 we don't do this. But we were afraid that the actions of this long of this lone well, guy he had a son with him, of this you know man and his son who were both two black men would make us look bad, right? So we and and, th- and there are, there are many cultural reasons and, and reasons of history of why we think this way, but we tend to be more uh, more tribal in how we. Go into the workplace, whereas white people tend to be more uh, individual, and, and that simple distinction plays it out, plays itself out in so many ways. So I brought out the the idea that you know there there is a game, and corporate tribalism goes a long way toward helping you understand the game, how different perceptions, and it's not right or wrong perceptions, it's just different. And by understanding those different perceptions, uh, you'll be able to understand how people operate and how two people can see the exact same event and come away with completely different conclusions about what caused the event and what should be done about the event. And Corporate Tribalism is a great book to understand that. Now, my book (laughs) is called Minority Tech. Uh, Minoritytech.com is the website. It's spelled like you think it should be spelled. And, a few years ago, back in 2013, you know, I, I've been working in tech for my entire career, so you know, well over 15 years, deep in technology, and I had the experience that a lot of the people who will see this have. I'm the only black person on my team or in my company. I'm currently the only black person in my entire company. And just that feeling of, man, I'm always alone, and, and people say things that kind of get to me. But there's no one I can talk to because they wouldn't understand. And I remember that often I would only see black people when I was working late at night and the people who cleaned the building came in. That's when I saw black people. And so my book is about my experiences as a person of color. And I wrote it because I wanted to encourage other minority texts that you're not alone. Everything that you're going through, I've gone through. And here's how I dealt with those emotions. Here's what I did to invest myself in my career, despite working in companies that often did not understand inclusion, or if they did, had really poor ways of dealing with it. And I also made the case for diversity. And I spent a lot of parts of my book talking about why, why di- diversity, which is getting uh, different viewpoints and different mental models into your company, that's not just good for black people and that it gets us into a career that, I mean, technology, you know, overpaced compared to a lot of other different industries, but that we bring a lot to the table of diversity, that companies that are more diverse, that have diversity of gender, diversity of race, diversity of, of other measures, they have been shown through numerous studies to be more innovative. And if technology is, a, is, is an industry, and it is, that runs, that has its lifeblood, rooted in innovation, then you really have to embrace diversity if you're going to to do that. And, you know, I wrote this the year before all the companies began coming out like Google and Yahoo and Facebook. They began releasing those numbers and they proved what we always knew was true, that at least among giant tech companies, diversity is really low. And so I really thought that my book came at a really great time um, to really have that discussion because we've been talking about it since that happened in the early part of 2014 and we're still talking about it now. So my book... Minority Tech. You can go to my website. It's available on Amazon in Kindle format. You can also buy the paperback. Attractively priced. It's a great book. Highly recommend it. <laughs> and if you ever want to talk about it, um, you know, my, we'll share my Twitter. We're, we're, uh, you, you can you know, hit me up on my uh, book website. And I'm always happy to have discussion. Every now and then, I get someone who reaches out to me. I was happy to have those engagement um, you know talks, uh, because I'm, I I wrote a book because I care and I'm care because I'm passionate. And I think that we can do a lot to make the technology community a lot more inclusive and a lot less hostile to people of underrepresented groups. Uh, but we have to have hard conversations about it.
1: That's an excellent, excellent point. And you, you covered pretty much the next thing. If there's anything else you want to add in there, it's the question of how can the people reach you? Uh, so, what is your Twitter handle? Just so we make sure that we we put it in the show notes from the recording. Anything else that you want to make sure that the people have, uh, you know, so they can connect with you?
0: Absolutely. My Twitter handle. I'm, I was. I, I have a very unique first name, so it was really easy. But it's just my first name. It's it's A N J U A N, six letters. So at N1, that's at A N. J-U-A-N, and I'm, you know, go ahead and follow me. Uh, if you at me, I'll, I'll reply, probably, fo- you know, follow back. Uh, you know, I got on Twitter back before, it, it, before Twitter was cool, I got on Twitter because, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a big geek. Um, <laughs> uh, so I've been on Twitter for, for a long time, so I always welcome any follower. I'm happy to engage you, whether with ads or DMs. Uh, I'm, I'm happy to chop it up with you
1: now do you want to talk at all around and at the same time I'll, I'll give people opportunity if you want to if you want to um send a question to anwan forward slash and put to you actually at this point in in the podcast just put it in the chat section and we'll make sure that we get it answered probably have about five more minutes um you know just in case just just in terms of how much time that uh anwan promised us and we want to respect that. So, if you're listening in and you have a question, tech related, uh, diversity related, anything that we spoke about, go ahead and put it in the chat, and we'll make sure that we we get it answered uh, in the next in the next five minutes. Um, I was going to ask you, Anwan. Go ahead. So you also have a group. I don't know if you want to talk about that group. Uh,
0: sure. Let's, yeah.
1: Yeah. Let's talk so, uh, about it. so the Slack. Just talking about Slack group. Yep. Which, uh, tell the people a little bit more about the things that you're doing there, because I think that's, that is pretty powerful.
0: Absolutely. So Slack, for those of you who don't know, is really a messaging app that's designed to help people get together and communicate. So for those of you who remember... Um, you know all the days of of, of of you know ICQ of you know chat channels. I'm not ICQ, IRC. I'm sorry. Of of IRC, um, it's really that technology, but with a nice UI in front of it, and it makes it really easy for people to get together. Um, it's invite only, so you have to be invited to most Slack groups. Though there are ways that you can autom- you know, take that process and make it happen without a person actually clicking a a button. Um, but Slack is a really cool. Um, easy to understand but powerful tool for building a group and getting people involved and making sure that people can help each other. So, uh, I started a Slack group for Black technologists because I'm passionate about Black people in technology. And I, after South by Southwest last year, we were using another tool called GroupMe, and I realized that GroupMe was a great tool. And, you know, doing South by Southwest, South by Southwest Interactive is this huge technology conference, happens in Austin every year. And we created a back channel in GroupMe. And that way we could say, okay, where is everybody? Where are the cool parties? Oh, someone saw Drake. All right, he's over here. Or someone saw Jay-Z. Okay, they're over here. And it became a great way for us to keep in contact because, again, Being underrepresented in technology means that we're often in small numbers at technology conferences. And so GroupMe was a way for people of color to collectively get together and help each other navigate this huge conference. So I thought, wow, you know, it was so cool being in the GroupMe group. What if we had this as a permanent channel? And I like GroupMe, but I had before that recently learned about Slack, and I thought it was far superior. So I created a Slack group called Black Technologists. If you go to blacktechnologists.com, I'm sorry, blacktechnologists.slack.com, you can get an, an invite or, and you know I'll, I'll type this into, uh, into the chat. Uh, I have a Bitly link that you can also go to, and if you fill that Bitly link out, I'll get a Google form and I'll add you. But Black Technologists is a Slack group that's designed to discuss the intersection of technology and being a person of color. So we talk about just regular things that all technologists are into, like all the the latest iPhone. We talk about the latest, you know, coding standards. We talk about a whole variety of things. But we also talk about men. You know, I have a channel called Vint in Slack where – This happened at work. I can't believe it. You know, someone posted a Confederate flag, um, you know, in our Google Hangout, you know, whatever. And so, you know, it's a way to express things that you can't really say at work. You can't really say it on Twitter where your boss or your grandmother may actually see it. But you can just vent and have a community of like-minded people say, man, I understand. It's okay. Or when this happened to me, this is what I did. So Slack, the Black Technology Slack Group, is a community designed to help people of color and technology stay connected, help each other, and hopefully find more opportunities where they're finding new jobs or learning how to create your own startup. Um, it's really built for for that.
1: Excellent. Well, Anwan, we don't have any questions here, so I wanna say thank you uh, for being here. And I also wanna thank the people who are still hanging with us. Garner, thank you for being here. Job, Jobs, uh, sticker, it looks like. Hopefully I pronounced that right. Jamel Sanders, thank you. Tanisha, Nicole, thank you. Thank you all for being and hanging with us. And, uh, you know, this is no more reasonable doubt. It's all about empowering young professionals of color so they can have more impact at work. Um, and sometimes that starts even as a junior and senior in college. But we're exposing them to different people who are doing different things. And uh, once again, Anwan, I want to say thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day to be with us and, you know, drop the knowledge. So this will be up on the site shortly, uh, No more reasonable doubt.com And if you're a Jay-Z fan, you'll know where that came from, where the name came from. So thanks again. Thank you so much. This was great. Today's show was sponsored by Meet Edgar. Quick question for you. If you post a tweet about something you think is important and no one sees it, did it have an impact? You're spending time writing, uploading, and scheduling updates, and they usually don't even get seen by most of your followers. Meet Edgar is the only scheduler that directly addresses that and stops your updates from going to waste by automatically saving and sharing them again and again over time. Because you're spending way less time on busy work, you can dedicate more of your time to creating dope content and actually interacting with your followers. They call it social media for a reason. Visit meetedgar.com to learn more and start your free 14-day trial today. And thank you, dear listener, for being with us. Did you find today's message valuable? Love the show? Subscribe at bit.ly forward slash NMRD support. All lowercase. You'll get podcast episodes, updates, and articles sent directly to your inbox. If you sign up right now, you'll get a free 10-part email series called The 10 Career Commandments. Now, everything we create, everything we share is designed to empower young professionals of color like you. So go ahead and move forward. We got your back. Tired of going at this alone? Request access to our Facebook group by visiting bit.ly forward slash fb group underscore nmrd and bit.ly is b-i-t dot as always our goal is to take you from invisible to invincible i'm your host mike ambassador bruni and the dope beat you're about to hear to close out the show is by papa doc peace